0: Welcome to TMD on the Record. This is a podcast where we talk about the relationship between brands and customers. Take a look at some of the challenges facing organizations as they work to understand a more empowered customer and the empowered customers that expect and demand more from the brands they choose to be loyal to. Hey, welcome to TMD on the Record. I'm your host, Dave Klish. I'm here with my fellow host, Jeff Timmons. Good morning. And Mike Grant. How are you doing? I'm not bad, Mike. Thanks for asking. On today's episode, we're going to discuss the importance of employee culture, whether culture is something that can be created or earned, and what work from home means to employee culture overall. I'm really excited about our discussion today. It's pretty timely given all that's happened uh, over the past year. And I think today's conversation is a topic that may help organizations looking at how they can return to the office safely and effectively. Terry Gillis is the president and CEO of ARIA Consulting. Terry has cultivated over 20 years of progressive experience in the field of talent management with expertise in attracting, retaining, managing, and transitioning talent in both private and public sector settings. He possesses an entrepreneurial spirit that's helped foster the growth of his consulting firm. He's a certified professional coach, bringing his expertise in executive and leadership coaching, career transition, leadership development, workshop facilitation, and organizational effectiveness. He sounds like a pretty big deal, right? This is a pretty big deal, who we have with us today. Uh, with an MBS from Wilfrid Gloria University, Terry successfully helps organizations reach their full potential through implementing business strategies into individual consultations. Terry's also the author and writer behind To Suckify Work, Doesn't Everyone Deserve a Great Place to Work?, which provides insights for CEOs, managers, and team leaders looking to create and maintain a positive workplace. Terry, welcome to the podcast. Thank you.
1: I want to meet this guy.
0: Yeah, so do I. <laughs> he sounds pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I gotta say, like twenty
2: years. Were you ten when you started? Yeah,
1: exactly. Right. Yeah. Sadly, no, I wasn't. But thanks for that, Jeff. I appreciate the the, the compliment. I think so. All <laughs> yeah, good. Be very guarded.
0: Be, be, very, very, be very guarded. guarded. Indeed. <laughs> but maybe so that we can shut up and we can actually yeah. hear from the expert, Terry. Maybe just to start off. Give us a little bit of background as to how you first got into this this space in consulting.
1: Well, it started many, many years ago, and and this is going to sound a little strange, but I'm a Maritimer, so those of you that know Maritimers know there's three things. Um, One, we drink a lot of beer. Two, we fish. And three, we like to talk. The first two aren't true. The last one is. Very early on in my life, I, you know, for lack of a better term, and not to be, you know, dramatic, but I always had this thing about helping other people. I remember as a kid being that guy, that kid who was always lending a hand and whatnot, and that just... Kept with me my whole life, and originally I was going to medical school. Believe it or not, true story. Um, but chemistry and I did not get along well, so flamed out of that pretty quickly. Happened to get involved in psychology, which was incredibly fascinating. And my mother worked in a nursing home where they had an Alzheimer's unit. I got very interested in memory and aging, and that's really how I got involved in this industry. Believe it or not, when I went up to University of Waterloo to do my master's degree. I got exposed to um, a fellow by the name of Neil Charness who was doing work on aging workers. And this was in the 90s, so it was very revolutionary because we could see the demographics of that po- at that time pointing to where we are today with the war for talent and the mm-hmm. fact that there was not isn't gonna be enough people around and people can relate to that right now, I know that. Mm-hmm. But in 1990, we could see that coming. We could look at the numbers. And he was very interested in how does an aging workforce impact productivity and so that was just absolutely mind-boggling fascinating to me waterloo of course being the school of uh, co-op placements i got into a co-op placement down the road at laurier and they got me involved in um, career counseling with students and that just lit the fire from the earlier passion in my life and basically after that the rest is history i got recruited over to the ivy business school and um, found a little firm in town here in london called carswell partners at the time which was the previous name of aria consulting and fell in love with the whole world of talent management, which is what that firm was all about. So I'd love to say, uh, you know, i managed my career exceptionally well and had a goal. Not really, but there is a theme there, I believe. So um, it all sort of harkens back to those early days. So that's a brief history of time, so <laughs> buy that book.
2: <laughs> well, that's next on the reading list. You know, exactly. know, uh, part of what we do today uh, when we talk, um, through this is in, and have our conversation with you as we at TMD we invoke this thing called the 10th voice principle which is where we often challenge convention and mm-hmm. um, you know' we're, we're pretty excited about today's conversation because um, I don't really describe you as someone who follows normality um, you know having I'll take a chance that to, as a compliment <laughs> having a chance to, to know you and work with you and and share a stage with you et cetera, is um, you know, you do challenge convention, mm-hmm. and you do things differently, and take a different approach. and And um, and I think that's one of the things we really kind of want to unpack today and, and talk about. So, um, uh, really excited about that, and super happy to have you here. Yeah, it's uh, awesome. Thanks.
1: Appreciate being here. Like the opportunity, and thanks for the plug about pushing envelopes. That's my <laughs> that's my that's my day. I like, I like that. So perfect.
0: So maybe just give us a little bit of your perspective on. Um, we have a lot of so we're coming out of a rather interesting period of history. Yeah. For the last 18 months or so, organizations culturally have gone through a, a lot of disruption. Sure. Um, I think also buried in there has been a lot of opportunity, but you know not without the challenges that come with managing an organization, trying to maintain profitability, keep your employees happy, keep your customers. Right. What are some of the things that you've seen? Um, you know that maybe we should be thinking about from an opportunity perspective as organizations start to wrap their heads around, how do they go back to work?
1: Great question. I think the 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 most compelling argument right now, or debate, if you will, is around the whole work from home, not work from home, hybrid, how does this impact culture, yada, yada, yada. And there's just a tremendous amount of information that's being shared on the internet, of course. Uh, and I would caution everybody to really put on the critical thinking hat on this one, and I don't think people are. Um, you know, you can do a survey of employees and say, hey, you're working from home. Do you want to keep doing this? Well, yeah. Mm-hmm. Who's going to say, no, I'd like to go back to the office? Um And then that gets, you know, exacerbated by the press and, you know, you know, crazy statistics like 99% of people, and I'm exaggerating, but 99% of people want to continue to work from home. Well, duh. I just don't think it's good science. And I don't think it's good critical thinking that's happening in the marketplace. And, and then it's almost like I've been involved in some discussions with some local HR leaders and no disrespect at all, but where it's like, well, we need to be doing what, you know, employees say they want but is it really what they want? Are we asking the right questions? Are we Mm -hmm. getting behind the curtain of individuals and really finding out what is driving it? And more importantly, from my perspective, is when did we stop having the conversation about strategy? Great to engage your employees. 100% Mm -hmm. you'll find nobody else who's more involved in that. You folks know some of the work we do in town with respect to employee engagement. It's critical. But it also has to align with your strategy. And when you don't have those two connected, that's dangerous from my perspective. And I think we need to get back to what is our strategy? Yes, the pandemic has has turned things upside down, but let's not lose sight of that. Let's get back to that conversation. Mm-hmm. That to me is part of what I would say. That's the opportunity right now. And the opportunity is is human resources departments, I think, have finally been recognized for the important role they play in organizations. They've been you know, at the front of the line, you know, driving a lot of the solutions that have helped us get through this pandemic in organizations. So let's make sure we bring them to the table for the strategy discussion and how that links together. But I'm sure you have
3: more questions and <laughs> I've got more ideas. Trust me <laughs> on that one. But are we at a point now where, you know, we're beginning to jump the shark. So <laughs> I no, love that. It's reference. Yeah, thank and you nice very much. Yeah, yeah, that little happy you. days action. Yeah, exactly. Right. You know, maybe ten years ago, it kind of started where it was like, well, you got to have ping pong tables, you got to have yeah. foosball tables. Everything is about employee centricity, and and the last eighteen months has really accelerated that to yeah. the point where it almost feels a little bit now like we have the tail wagging the dog. Yeah. yeah. And though, of course, we want to ensure that we have a good culture and that we want to put employees first. How do we, how do you find that balance where mm. you're actually, you know, just like you say, yeah, somebody, a question, they're going to say yes. Well, if, if you react to everything and you you let the tail wag the dog, do you then suffer as an organization? Can you find that perfect balance? Yeah. So the first image that, that
1: went through my mind is you talked about foosball tables and pool tables and that sort of thing. Um, I hate foosball. <laughs> it's and it's a frustrating it. game. It's a very frustrating game. Yeah. and if you put a foosball table in a place where I'm going to work, now it's something that I dread. And what I find fascinating is we all went into this, not everybody, that's exaggeration, but for sake of color and this commentary today, a lot of people just said, oh, look what Google's doing. Oh, look what X is doing or Y is doing, and let's do that. As opposed to sitting down and having a conversation with employees and saying, what do you want? What is your? What do you need? And not in a generalized sense, but on a one-on-one basis. You've all read my book, and the, the biggest takeaway from the book is I'm a firm believer in one size fits one, not one size fits all. And these solutions that you know we're going to have beanbag chairs and we're going to have you know, hybrid workforces and we're going to have all these different things is all a one-size-fits-all mm-hmm. approach. And I believe good leadership, good management is about one size fits one. So what works for... Employee A may not work for Employee B. Then that brings in the whole question of well, what about equality? And well, you know, we well, sure we'll just going to ask that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, so yeah. how
3: how do you um, reconcile the fact that you kind of need policies within your organization that yeah. are one size fits all, yeah. and then the idea that you have a one size fits one way of of doing business? How sure. do you yeah. how do you balance those? I
1: think policies and procedures are really there to keep you out of jail, and that may sound extreme, but I mean those are the things that ensure that you're compliant with laws and regulations and rules that are put in place that quite frankly, I think some of them are archaic. Um, great example, Jeff, you introduced the concept that I'm a bit provocative. I find it absolutely fascinating that you can you know have pay somebody. X amount of dollars on year one. But if they tank on year two, you can't reduce their salary. But if you're a commissioned salesperson, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. your commissions go down. So we've lost the plot when it comes to compensation. I'm down a rabbit hole, and I apologize. But you know, I think I explained in the book, one of my most mind-boggling, shook my head kind of moments was meeting with a couple of people who were we were helping with their recruitment, and they were trying to figure out how the person fit into this. I don't even know how to describe it, but this archaic um, compensation plan with multiple levels and multiple layers. And well, we can't put him in there because that would put, uh, th- then he'd be afraid of, ahead of this person. Oh, but this other person who's a band 11, which is one blows, but 11.7, so they'd make a little bit more. And they talked for 45 minutes. And I finally said, excuse me, do you mind if I ask a question? They said, sure, what's that? I said, have you ever stopped to ask the question how much value they're gonna generate for your organization? And they looked at me like I was talking in tongues. and 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 that's where it kind of gets lost for me is like we've we've lost the plot. like let's focus on value. So the policies to answer your original question, the policies allow you to align with the rules that are in place, which may not always be fair, but we've got to live by them. But that doesn't preclude you or prevent you as a manager from being creative in terms of how you address individualized needs. You got to stay, I mean, those are the guardrails, right? Those are the guardrails on the road. Don't, you know, don't skate outside of those. But after that, let's be creative around what we're doing. There's a great, you know, and and this is going to make me sound really super smart, and I'm not. But um, something I remember a long time ago called molar equivalence molecular decomposition. And all that really means is that on the surface, and those are just big fancy words to make me sound smart, um, when you take it all together, everybody's equal. But when you break it down into what the p- component parts that go into it, they're all different. Mm-hmm. This came out of research years ago when we were first in the lab back in the 90s. That's how old I am, Jeff. Um,
2: so Sorry, I'm doing the math.
1: On this <laughs> <so>. <laughs> Good luck with that. It's going to take it's a while. Yeah. <laughs> so it'll take a well, while, exactly. Um, but typists, so you've, and back when we used to have typing pools, some of you may remember that, um, if you have an older typist, they're not as fast as a young typist, but their accuracy is higher. Younger typists are faster, but they make more mistakes. So when you actually bring it all together, they're equal, but how they get there is different. And so that's what drives me when I look at how do you how do you deal with a um, different employers and different workers and and. Um, build programs or or build solutions that are unique to them in that mm-hmm. one size fits one kind of approach. That's I really uh, I really
2: did. like that one size fits one. Um, you know, and it is kind of a juxtaposition that we have to treat everybody the same. And I do, and I I actually think that those things actually are the same. We treat everyone the same is that we do one size fits one for everyone. You know, and I and I think that's really important. And I and I love that. While it's you know, it could be very controversial. Um, you with, don't do it with, with th- your kids,
1: right? Right. If you have kids, yeah. you don't treat them exactly the same. You don't? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sorry, Jeff. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but, so, so take but take kids as an example. I have you know three kids. They're completely different. Two were in theater. One was in wasn't you know one was in sports. The other two weren't. Do I you know add up how much the hockey gear cost and then apply that to theater, which is cheaper? No. You give them the same opportunities, and yeah. so that's I always it's always fascinating to me how we can. Be you know good at parenting, but then bring that into the into the and that's a horrible analogy I suppose yeah. when you think about it. But we lose that those insights when we become managers. Well, I
2: really think as we've been going through this um, this pandemic um, and dealing with bringing people back to work and you know what's next, which nobody really knows. But you know, as a as a company, you have to make a decision at some point. But dealing with the this interesting situation where everyone does want. To be treated fairly and treated the same, but they all actually require, and deep down, they want to be treated right. independently. Independently, yeah, and, and differently. And I think that's a really, really key piece. And I know we want to talk a little bit about, um, you know, employee culture. Right. And you know, mm-hmm. I, I guess the, the the semantics or the definition of employee culture is a really interesting one because I would bet we all would define it a little bit differently, mm-hmm. but. Terry, given you're the expert, <laughs> how might you uh, define Kirk, employee somebody culture? Somebody hand me my
1: book. How did I define <laughs> it? Yeah, I mean, it, it, at its core, the, per, the 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 culture of an organization is like the personality of an organization, and what what makes it up. There's there's a million different things you can measure, but fundamentally, it's how you do things around here, and what is accepted and what isn't, and what are sort of the the mores, if you will, of the particular organization. What's not and who influences that more than people? You know, without people, you don't have culture, which is why I've been scratching my head to the point where I'm starting to lose my hair. Around, well, we're gonna take all our people and we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna let them work from home. Mm-hmm. What are you doing about culture? Oh, we're gonna we're gonna have some fun games on Friday afternoon and do, you know, virtual scavenger hunts. Mm. That's not culture. Right. That's just weird. <laughs> like, like so. It's, it's taking up time. <laughs> well, and, and, and then if you're the person who really hates playing virtual games, now you, the remoteness you're already feeling just got multiplied because you're doing something you don't like. I love okay. foosball tables earlier. Like, this is where I just start to go, let's not be lazy
3: about this and mm-hmm. let's dig in and find out what really makes things work well. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's almost a shift. So up until everybody was forced to work from home, employee culture was the responsibility of the organization. And now that everybody's kind of working from home, it's almost shifted a bit of the responsibility to the individual themselves to make themselves included in the team. And if they want to be, yeah. There's a part of your book... <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> ...Suck work. Yes, where you talk about... Um, you know, as you found out your dad was about to pass and, yes. and you were asking him for some pearls of wisdom and and two things that he said that you that said absolutely floored you was that he hated his job. Yes. And that he hated the organization that he worked for. Yes. And I wonder now, because we're seeing, you know, there's been a lot of things written about the great resignation and, and everybody really starting to look at their lives and, and Think about what they do next. Are we getting some false positives? Are, are people just looking at how crappy the last eighteen months have been, and then trying to hang that on on work or, or something like that? Or yeah, that's a that's a great question. Um. Ironically,
1: today's my dad's birthday, by the way. Which I thought oh. that, that popped up in my calendar this morning. I thought that was weird, and I wondered if somebody was going to bring it up. So, yeah. happy birthday, Dad! So, mm-hmm. um, it's that's a that's a that's a tough question. What is going on with the res- resignation? Well, first of all, there's a lot of talk about it, but I'm not seeing a ton of action on it. Um, I'm not seeing you know organizations that are calling us up and saying, you know, 10, 10 people just walked out the door today. Um, so again, I think it's. Where's the data coming from, and what's right. the survey methodology? Right. You know, if I asked you, do you want to leave? it? Well, you wouldn't, but none, nobody in this room would. But if we talked to the average bear, yeah, maybe I would. Um, it all goes down to a little thing called continuous commitment, which all has to do with if there's plenty of opportunities in the marketplace that you can see. Of course, you're going to leave because you think that the grass is greener on the other side. Right. I'm not seeing that action yet, so that's why I'm a little bit suspicious of that data. Um, but i think the pandemic has really brought into focus for some people the fact that some of their places do suck and to steal a phrase de work and careful that's trademarked apparently yes <laughs> so. if only the guy we knew had <laughs> <laughs> that we'll <laughs> we'll in the, room. Reach out to the author and we'll get that it, we'll see if we can get that cleaned up yeah um, you know i think i think people don't know how to act and inertia is a bugger, as we all know. And so they say they would like to you know, resign and go on to something else. They don't know how to do that. Um, so the smart organizations right now are having those, for lack of a better term, those stay conversations and having those one-size-fits, one kind of conversation. And what is it about this... What is it about what you're doing for us now that you like and you love and want to do more of? And what's driving you crazy and how can we fix that? That's Mm -hmm. the smart organization right now. And I I just see so many organizations that are kind of throwing their hands in the air going, well, I guess we'll just ramp up
3: our recruitment to get replacements. What a tragedy, my perspective. Can you have a good culture and a shitty job? Sure. Is that possible? Sure. You can have a job that you absolutely disdain. But the
1: culture will make it better, Um, at least tolerable. So, I mean, let's face it. There's, you know, I mean, Mike Rowe made an entire series out of this for years. You know, whatever that was, Dirty Jobs. Oh, right, yeah, right, love that show. Right, it was a great, great show. Um, And I always found it fascinating on that show. Wherever he went, no matter what they were doing, um, most of those people were pretty happy doing what they were doing. Now, the job were jobs were awful. You know, like cleaning out septic tanks and things like that. The people loved it. Why did they love it? It wasn't because of the work. It was probably because of the environments or the cultures that they were in, and you know, those kinds of things. So, I think you can have a crappy job um, and have a great culture, but that doesn't—that that's still a flight risk. I would argue because the person will try and you know deal with that cognitive dissonance they're having. So,
0: can I bring you back to something you said earlier, oh which is like, when what happened? to strategy, right? Yeah. So, I was having a conversation with someone, one of our clients in the states, and he referenced the great resignation.
1: Yeah.
0: And we started to have a chat about it, and he said, you know, it's less his perspective was, and, and and this really I found this really interesting. His perspective was it's less about culture and it's less about work from home and it's more about an organization's return to strategy. So, it's more about our okay, the last 18 months have been interesting, but we have a company to run, we have clients to serve, we need to get back on track here. We're going to need to make some hard, I don't want to say pivot, but we need to make some hard (laughs) pivots, or we need to get back to the trajectory that we were on or back to the strategic plan that we were working towards. Because there was really good reason for it before. This was a bit of a disruption to (laughs) that path. Mm -hmm. The strategy, though, hasn't changed. Mm -hmm. And we've deviated a little bit. We've made accommodations along the way, and for all the right reasons, most of the time, for the right reasons. Is the great resignation, is this impact and some of this flux we're seeing in culture, is it a result of organizations actually having to make some hard decisions and get back to the the business of doing work or get back to the strategy that they had that ultimately is gonna be what (laughs) provides the opportunity for culture and people in the first place?
1: I don't, I don't know because I don't hear of a lot of organizations that are having great conversations about getting back to strategy and the great resignation theme, topic, whatever, has been around now for about six months. So which came first, chicken or the egg? In this this case, I'd argue the great resignation came first. So I don't know if there's a causal or even a correlation, um, a causal relationship or a correlation there. I don't know. But I would argue if organizations do focus on strategy, don't be afraid of the talent aspect of that strategy. In other words, we need to, I'll say the word, pivot left or pivot right, and say, oh, we can't do that because that means an entirely different talent that we may need, or we may need different talent, and the talent pool's sort of shallow right now, so let's not do that. I think that's foolish. You can find the talent. It's going to be harder than it ever was before. I mean, let's be honest. Before you throw a link, you know something up on Indeed or LinkedIn or something, and people beat a path through, it it's not happening anymore. And people are going, "WTF?" You know, it's like, well, because it's a little harder now, but you still find talent. You know, it's there. Yeah, but. I think.
2: You know, listen, I think this idea of getting back to strategy is critical. You know, we talk about it with our clients all the time. It's like, what's the strategy? Don't just you know, ask us to do A. You know, but how are you going to get people to do A for you? And I, I think the other thing that you just said that really uh, kind of struck a chord is, you know, don't be afraid of talent. You know, and don't be afraid of having to. If your strategy says you need this type of person, then go get that type of person. Don't let the fact that that person may not exist in your organization stop you from executing the strategy. I think that's what you're what yeah. you were trying to yeah. say, and, and I, I think that's really important. And
1: at the same time uh to you know to get back to the earlier conversation about culture don't sacrifice your culture for that superstar so right. mentioning to you guys is at the blue jay game on the weekend and i remember the year that they took a run back in the 90s again back to back. and to so i'm still calculating still that? calculating yeah. right and they brought over ricky henderson Right, for, you know, he was a you know, bot player for, you know, and, you know, nice guy, I suppose. But, you know, I'm not sure how much he helped the culture of that organization at the time, because he was like, you know, kiss my butt because I'm the superstar. You know, so don't do that. Right,
2: <laughs> you know? right. You're Absolutely. not a major
1: league baseball team with hordes of money. Because you're still so,
2: stronger as a team than you are as an individual. Right, you
1: know, look at the, look at the great quote. Um, you know, uh, you can have the, you look at some of the best teams in, in sports history that a bunch of, you know, middle of the road players can come together and and this and beat the team that has the superstar.
3: Well, look yeah. at Leicester City in the Premier League a few years ago. This it
1: was a great you collection
2: of eleven players. players. You right. always
0: bring it back to that sport. That's
2: what <laughs> I love.
3: I'm That's
2: what I love.
0: But you said something, <laughs> don't sacrifice culture yeah. for any one individual. Right. right. And I would maybe add to that a little bit, and maybe this is, you know, the perspective of a business owner, but don't sacrifice strategy for the sake of culture.
1: Great. Right. Yeah, hundred percent.
0: Because from my perspective, culture is is the mechanism that you use to deliver against strategy. Right. It is yeah. that culture is absolutely yeah. designed yeah. to deliver that strategy in the best possible way, so that you have buy-in. You have you know you have the the, the appropriate levels of yeah. consensus and alignment and and all of those things. But you know you, the sports analogy, winning is still really important. Right, 100. It's the lifeblood of any business. So right. I mean, at the end of the day, and we say this all the time, every organization only ever has, has two goals: how do I get more customers, and how do I keep the ones I've got? Mm-hmm. Your employees are the mechanism that you use, or your team is the mechanism you use to fulfill against that. Mm-hmm. Winning becomes really, really important. So how do you balance maybe the need for a high performance culture? Call it whatever you want, but a culture that's you know there's a there's a significant part of strategy that depends on your ability to win. Mm-hmm. Uh, or to compete effectively, how do you balance that in a structure? And maybe it's a not dance, answer. I'll let you get to it. But maybe it's that you know, um, treating each in- individual employee individually, recognizing the value that they bring to the firm. But how do you how do you balance that?
1: Well, first of all, uh, one of the things that's always interesting in the culture conversation is people always talk about it as this nebulous thing. You can actually measure it, and and we do. Um, and you can determine, you know, are you an externally focused organization, more of an internally focused organization, are you highly structured or unstructured, you build a two-by-two two matrix. And you can measure along those four quadrants, if you will. And one of the things we do, which we just absolutely love, it's the, it's the thing that we get most excited about, is we'll measure culture by asking people in the organization right now, what do you think the culture is? But then we'll also ask them, what would you like it to be? That's fascinating.
2: That gap must be
1: it's incredible. Huge. And management will, you know, sometimes you got to take their chin off the floor when they see what they would what the employees would like it to be. If that's incongruent with your strategy, you got a huge problem. Yeah. If it's congruent, then we're high fiving each other. But we've done this with organizations. We said, here's what it is now. And they go, Yeah, that makes about sense, but here's what they'd like it to be. Mm -hmm. And they go, Holy mother of darkness, that's a problem. Mm -hmm. Right. Now you've got to shift. And how do you shift your strategy? It's people. And now people so are he's saying we've got to change our bench. Yes. But the talent pool is shallow. Oh dear God. Now we're back to strategy again.
0: Yeah, but do you shift your strategy? So if if I was
1: I wouldn't. No, I wouldn't. uh, I'd shift my culture.
0: Yeah, as as a tech (laughs) voice, I would say, like, okay, so if that if we asked that question, they came back, oh, this is what they'd like it to be. Well, that's not consistent with our strategy. Right. Good leadership would do a real quick, okay, hang on a second. Yeah. Let's make sure that this strategy still is it where sense. to go. Yeah. If it does, yeah. okay, then we have the wrong culture to deliver against this strategy. Right. Or we have a group of folks that don't want yep. to buy into this culture.
1: And then you go out and you find a leader who's more akin to what you'd like the culture to be, that's where you start and see if they can bring these people along. And if they can't, then you've got some changes to make on your bench. But that's the first step. So yeah. So let, <laughs> let well, me ask you. Now this. we're getting into it now. Yeah, now yeah. we're getting into it.
3: <laughs> So you know we're, we're, we're making a lot of analogies to sports and, yeah. and winning, and, and that's a very objective thing. Either win or you lose. It's, yeah. it's a matter of what the score is at the end yeah. of the game. Yeah. And you've got a section in your book where you talk about uh, measuring performance yes. and you talk about ticking the boxes. So you have this objective level of measurement that most organizations have, but then you give an analogy about if your goal was to lose 10 pounds and you chopped your leg off, to achieve that goal, based on the objective unit of measure, mm-hmm. they've met their yeah. met their goals. I not mean, yeah. so recommend it, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> Just I actually, put that out there I, I had to, disclaimer. I had to hop my way in here, <laughs> but you? that's okay. You but, look but great. I'm way down. I'm way down. <laughs> so we're really talking about a subjective level of performance management mm-hmm. that I feel is a little bit at odds for your industry. In HR, typically you're trying to kind of also create a very uh, uniform way of operating and, and almost protecting yourselves a little bit legally. So if your advice is to be more subjective in your performance management, does that then pose a risk to the organization for some kind of lawsuit or what have you? Yeah, potentially. First of all, it's not my industry, but thanks. Well, sorry.
2: That's yeah,
1: okay. <laughs> um, um, it's everybody's industry. Right. Yes. Of course. Uh, <laughs>
2: it's the industry for all. Terry's the industry, industry
1: for all. Yeah. Welcome. Uh, <laughs> so, I, the, it, it keeps going back to my analogy of guardrails. Mm-hmm. you know, And policies and procedures are your guardrails. And as long as your leaders are mindful of those guardrails, you're fine. There's a lot of room on the road for individuality and creativity with respect to working and dealing with people. So, and I think that's that's the secret sauce that I'm trying to get to is uncouple your leaders from this, we must be all the same and Mm. focus on that individuality. Uh, And again, it's the parent analogy. Yeah, you love all your kids exactly the same, which is probably not true, um, but parents say it. Um, and every you, you approach each one of them you speak to your kids' strengths you speak to their weaknesses you backstop their weaknesses you play to their strengths I mean this is n- not news mm-hmm. so do that in your organization's please. and if you can't and I love doing this with leaders that write down a piece of paper your top five employees that work for you or not your top five but just five employees that work for you one person I don't care who it is now tell me their top five skills they can't do it mm. shame on you should be able to tell you that. Otherwise, how do you, like, if you were to ask, go back to sports analogy, if you were ask the right. manager, coach of a team, your your number one line, what's their top five skills? They I don't know. know. I just put them on the line. They'd be fired. <laughs> yeah, of course. They'd be fired. Yeah. But your managers don't know. And and even worse, what are your five top skills as a leader? Uh, I don't know. Is like, it? The, these are, this are the things that drive me nuts. Like, right. Let's get down to basic fundamentals. It's not so hard. I
2: think about some of my experiences when I was on the corporate side. Um, you know, the the annual review, the oh, three sixty peer evaluation, <laughs> well, yes. the which gets done, you know, in a time crunch once a year. Yeah, I'm breaking Ho- out in a the way off the pissed, side <laughs> of <laughs> <your> desk. <laughs> yeah, cool. hopefully you haven't pissed off your boss that week. Because yeah, yeah. that means you're, you know. Yeah, you're gonna um, get a bad one. So but the, this idea that like every one of those for 20 plus odd years that I participated in started with, it was the same set of criteria for Mm -hmm. every employee. It never started with, this person's five best skills or their values to the organization are this. And I just feel like that model is completely broken. And frankly, irrelevant and probably the the catalyst for what's wrong with a lot of culture. I, I think it, you know...
1: Well, it, it comes, and you you know, and you've read the book, but you know, I blame Taylorism for this. You know, we we started measuring, you know, shovels of coal in the Bethlehem Steelwork back in the 1900s, early 1900s, and that has just taken root in everything we do. We we we've, we we over measure things, and that's why the performance review happens. We shall measure this, as opposed to you know taking a a. In the moment feedback mechanism, and looking at it from that perspective, and it just we, we just kind of lost our way, mm-hmm. which is which is which is sad, you know. And again, to use the kids analogy, and boy, maybe I should write a book, desacify parenting, um, but you know, and it's in the book, so you've read it. You, know, you, you don't have a performance review with your kids once a year on their birthday. If you did I, that, I do. The, I you do. do yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Good. How's that working for you? Yeah. <laughs> well, they're unhappy. But. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And it's a shitty culture at your place. But yeah. other than that, everything's fine. Yeah. Um, it's, just, it's just weird to me, you know? And, and, but we get stuck in it, and then we're like, oh, how's everybody else doing it? Oh, okay. Well, that's what the textbook says. Okay. Let's do that. Like, just so, think critically.
3: So I got to play 10th voice here a little bit. Uh-huh. How, how do we get away from measuring every single thing when oftentimes you're beholden to a shareholder? How how do you make someone who's invested in your organization feel good about that investment if you can't give them 10 different things that you mentioned? If your
1: shareholder is interested in performance evaluations, get rid of that shareholder because they're going to be in your kitchen way too much and driving you crazy. So if I'm a shareholder in your organization at the end of the day, how's my money? Is it growing? If it is, great. Thanks very much. You figured out how to do it. That's why I gave you my money. That's why I invested in you. So that you're the you're the expert at turning that around. All I want is a return on my investment. But if I'm a shareholder and I'm in there saying, well, what are you doing with this and what are you doing with that? Get rid of that shareholder. They're a pain in the ass. And they shouldn't be there. That's my opinion on that. It's the same as board governance. If it drives me crazy, if you're on a board of governors or board of directors in an organization and you're running the organization, please quit because you're not doing your job. You're, you're, you're doing the job of management. why have a manager? So that would be my first visceral reaction to that. Um, at the end of the day, it's about value creation. I think, David, you mentioned it early on yeah. about you know winning and, and driving revenue. That's what I want. I'm going to entrust you to figure out how to do that the best you can. I mean, do you, we all have, I assume, have retirement plans we're invested in. I don't go and check up on those companies. I just want to make sure that they're growing So and creating value. And if, we've, if we if we move away from... Measuring specificity and talking about value creation, everybody does it a little bit differently, but if we focus there, I think we'll be in a better place. And that's where I go back to that whole notion around compensation. It should be tied to value creation. So anyway, that's just me.
0: <laughs> well, that's why you're here. That's why I'm here. <laughs> I, I, love the, I love the focus on value creation. Mm-hmm. Right. So that, is, that to me is directly aligned with business strategy. So mm-hmm. any good business strategy... Yes, it needs to be able to deliver um, not just revenue, but profitable revenue. It's that age-old saying, you know, how'd you go out of business? Well, really slowly at first, but then all of a sudden, right? Because like those business can't exist or yeah. can't continue yeah. to sustain itself if it doesn't Correct. make money. And we shouldn't be ashamed of that. Like yeah. that's not a dirty word. That's no. not a dirty phrase. No. We need to make money. Yeah. And the way we do that is through value creation. It mm-hmm. makes really a lot of sense to me that we would back that into whatever the framework is that we create around culture and if it's it's predicated around value creation for the individual but i guess you know what i would what i would ask this group is like in my mind that needs to be directly related to how we define value creation for the business mm-hmm. so the ability for our team members or for our employees or staff to see that their opportunity for value creation as a professional is directly tied to how the organization 100%. defines value creation. Yeah. If there's a gap there, yeah. I think you're caught in this culture conversation, yep. and you're going to be between the lines yep. and never really get you know where it is that you need to go.
1: Yeah, I, I, I mean, you just hit the nail right on the head for me. It's, it's every, it's everybody's value. It's not just the organization's value. But if you want people to be the pathway to your door, they have to make the, they have to come to the conclusion themselves around. What value they're getting out of the situation. What are they getting? Because let's face it, and another plug to the book, but please stop saying that employees are your biggest assets. Oh, they're yeah. not. You know, Assets, you can't sell them, major league sports teams can, but we can't. So please, everybody listening, stop saying employees are our most important assets. They're not. They're the most important investors that you have. And they come to work every single day with their skills their knowledge their experiences and they invest that into the organization for a currently i'd argue a pretty stable return which is a salary but there's other things too there's intangibles like getting really good at your craft and having autonomy and most importantly and if you're not aware of this with the gen i don't even know what letter we're on now but gen x gen y gen z They're all purpose-driven little mothers. They want purpose. And if you don't give them purpose, they're not gonna beat a pathway to your door. And if you can't articulate your purpose, turn your lights out, open up the for sale sign, because you're done. They are driven by that. So cash is important, no question, but that falls away pretty quickly. And I think that's true for most people, but let's face it, baby boomers, they put up with a lot of crap, my dad being one of them in Mm -hmm. the book. Um, you know, because they were sort of taught that, you know, just just that was the culture they grew up in, that was the environment they grew up in, As you don't complain about it, you just suck it up, because there's some damn many of us right now, be glad you got a job. Mm-hmm. But now, these new generations are going, wait a second, you know, I saw my parents and my grandparents, you know, get the short end of the stick, and I'm not doing that anymore, and, you know, the planet's dying, and the world's awful, and I'm going to fix it, so I want purpose, so... That so? How do you measure that value? Good luck, <laughs> but that's what they want.
2: <laughs> I think that's trying to find. You know, I, I guess as business owner, you're trying to find how do I align my purpose, which ultimately yes. is to make money, and um, you know, with the purpose of that individual. Yeah. And you know, it's it's a singular. I'm going to call it a singular purpose. Maybe there may mm-hmm. be a couple different ones in there, but. But then this one size fits one connection between the two, and I think that's critical. And um, yeah, I think you know we talk about um, one thing I, I want to ask you about is this idea of transforming work, mm-hmm. and you know it, it's in your kind of your company language yes. and transforming work through leadership and culture and engagement, and and I I feel like those things are the strategy of. Work, yeah. you know, um, but I just want to get your thoughts on kind of that phrase of transforming work.
1: Well, I think it goes back to the story of my dad, who you know hated his job and hated the place he worked, and you know died at fifty eight years of age without ever seeing the promised land, which was retirement. And you know he saved and you know spent his life in misery. That's probably a little bit over traumatic, but it plays well.
2: His his work life was
1: misery. His work life was misery. His son was amazing, at least one of them. (laughs) (laughs) Can't wait to meet him. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Me too. Can't wait to meet your brother. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, he's in town here. You should meet him sometime. Um, But work shouldn't be a chore. And work shouldn't be a pain in the ass. We did that for years and years. But the only thing you do more of than work is sleep. And we sacrificed that to go to work, which is just so ironic on so many levels for me. But it should be a it should be a good experience and it's not for so many people and how how tragic is that and that's why the subtitle of the book is doesn't everybody deserve a great place to work and that's not just on employers i don't want that to be the message that this is all important this is on employees too don't settle find that place that you are going to excel at because you'll be better off and so will that organization
2: absolutely right yeah.
1: and so many times it's like you know, we, we work with people in career transition. And it's like, well, I'll just pound up my resume and send it in and, you know, pull the handle on the on the slot machine and see what job comes up and I'll take that. Holy mother of God, that just drives me crazy. It's like, where where do you excel? What excites you? Where are you gonna make the biggest impact? Go find that. And then when you get there, they're gonna welcome you with open arms and then, you know, the rainbows come out, the unicorns and every, all that kind of stuff is be fascinating. But that, so I don't. The biggest mistake I think I could that somebody could make from my book or from my conversations is that this is an employee employer problem. It's not. This is every,
2: all parties. Is is the next book like? Everyone deserves, you know, a great employee. <laughs> yeah, right. Is, is that Every company just,
0: deserves a great employee.
1: Yeah, actually, the next one is desacrify your career. <laughs> well, in progress. Stay tuned.
2: You know, one of the things With that, that I, you yeah, know, somewhat, I guess I call it somewhat a tenth voice um, deal is I wish people would come as as a owner and a leader in an organization. I wish if someone was unhappy, I wish they'd be able to come to us and say. Uh, you know, this isn't working out. Can you yeah. help me transition out of here? Right, it just doesn't and, happen. I know, right? and yeah. and it, because to your point, frank. it it would make them happier. Yep. Frankly, it would make us probably happier. Mm-hmm. Personalities and personal mm-hmm. relationships aside, but the. Mm-hmm. Then we can go find the right person Absolutely. for the company. And I, I just, not enough of that happens. Well, yeah. And maybe it's out of fear. It is. Uh, it's know.
1: entirely out of fear. When, you know, part of our business up until fairly recently was, and still is, but it's not a lot of volume right now, is career transition. So organizations that have to make those tough decisions to end relationships with people, we help those people get back on their feet. Almost every single one of those individuals will say to us before they're, you know, move on to the next job. Leaving that place, losing my job, was the best damn thing that ever happened to me.
3: They know it; they just can't break the inertia. Well, and it's hard to get ahead of it. Yeah, it is. I I mean, I I think it. You know, you ask somebody, "Well, what do you really want? What do you what really excites you?" Mm. People are like, "Oh, shit! I don't know. Um, I don't have any hobbies." Yeah, you know, like I don't think that's an easy question. And and that's where I think, and you know, not
1: going to make more enemies than I already have, but this is where our school system fails us miserably. Like, we, we, you know, do not set people, you know, young kids up for success with trying to figure out where they want to go with their life. I mean, I remember my guidance teacher conversation. It was, here's a pamphlet, fill it out and go to university. There mm-hmm. was no conversation about whether that was the right decision or not. I'm not sure it's changed much because my kids had the same
2: conversation with theirs. Mm-hmm. And, like... I think my kids have the same guidance counselor I had. Right. Honestly, I, right. I think that's true. Is that because you've same. only been out of school a few years? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> that's right. I, yeah, yeah. I, well, I was there for a long time. <laughs> so it took yeah. me a while to yeah. get out. Longest yeah.
1: victory lap. Yeah. ever. twenty-seven years but, to get through twelve. And grades. the reality
2: is that person's never worked outside of
1: mm-hmm. that right that system. And and you know, so we that's in a whole other podcast, I'm sure. But we we just and and ask the average person, do you manage your career? And they go what are you talking about? Yet, yeah, I fundamentally believe it's a program we have, shameless self-promotion here, but build your personalized business plan. Mm-hmm. You know, you're a business, you sell yourself to an organization, skills, experience, knowledge, et cetera, right. and therefore, if you think that way, where's your business plan? I don't have a business plan. Or at least know what your next step at is. Least what, right. Exactly. and then, And I think organizations, going back to your point, Jeff, be open enough to have a culture that embraces, hey, you know what? This may not be working for me. Okay, then piss off and leave as opposed to how can we support you in your transition? And let's, you know, we're not going to cut you off at the feet right now. Imagine that for um, you know, your employer brand in the marketplace. I think that'd be fascinating, you know, and that's probably another conversation for another yeah. time, but <laughs> uh, you've been
0: you've been alluding to this <laughs> Shared accountability and shared responsibility yeah. for that culture between mm-hmm. the organization, its leadership, and then the the employees that participate in it. And what we we're just talking about, um, it's this whole two week notice thing, right? It just keeps flying back in my face. Mm-hmm. What we're talking about, that it's almost like that is getting in the way. And I don't know that that's a policy <laughs> or whether not. or not it's just it's some. Not. And legacy that's been dragged <laughs> forward, but you know it really does get in the way of of you know people being open to or recognizing that there's the opportunity for a conversation there about yeah. a proper transition and the fact that that's not just that's not just something that one of those individuals own. Like I I do feel that the organization. I love what you said about employees being your most important investors versus yes. assets so that to me was a, a key takeaway employees as investors and i think that's just that perspective alone is is incredibly helpful for an organization but an organization has an obligation to invest in their investors sure. or their employees yeah. career path mm-hmm. right 100%. as long as that remains consistent with where the organization needs to go otherwise both people aren't going to be happy but right. that also includes an exit that also includes mm-hmm. an offer an organization deciding to part with an employee, or an employee deciding to part with an organization—how you manage that transition. Whereas the employee also has an obligation to be a partner in that yep. when they leave, right? As opposed to 100%. saying, "Hey, I found another job." Um, they've had it for a month and they haven't told you. Here's my two weeks' notice. I'll 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 be happy to help you transition in two weeks, which in some cases might be three, four, five years of right. of of. You know consistently evolving work and commitment that how, how do you possibly untangle that in two weeks and leave the organization and, and almost more importantly your colleagues yeah. and a good place to be able to carry on going? I'd forward. argue
1: I'd argue that anybody who gives you two weeks notice it's probably somebody that should have left a while ago because that's just shitty commitment to the organization mm-hmm. so and if it, if it got if it gets to the point where they're giving you two weeks notice, Somebody's missed something along How many way. signals have you missed? Well, right? and it's, but again, it's not just on management. Mm-hmm. It's like, if you're unhappy, if any of if any my staff up. listening are yeah. unhappy, yeah. for the love of Pete, come and talk to me about well, it. Phone yeah. lines are lighting up. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> like, seriously, as opposed to... Our first caller from Wisconsin. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I'm, I'm so angry and pissed off, but I'm not going to say anything about it. Right. Well, that, what
3: kind of relationship is that? That's it's, a little one way. I, I mean, you think about it, though. I mean, how many times have people been advised, "Don't play your hand. Don't, yeah. don't tell your employer you're unhappy, or yeah. all of a sudden you're blackballed, or you know, because it is human nature." And leave. Yeah, because yeah. it's a shitty place to work. Right. Yeah. Right? No, it yeah. all comes back to that, doesn't it? Right. It. It, it, it does. So, so
1: stop living the fallacy oh, I "Better not say anything because I might lose my job." Yeah. Listen, one of the nice things about the world that we're in today, you're not going to be without a job for long. Right. There is that. Right. So, so get over that get past that fear of if you're in a place where, that's crappy and have that crucial conversation to see if things can be tailored, see if the organization is sophisticated enough to get there. And if they're not, then leave. You're doing everybody in favor, including an organization.
2: Yeah, and I think, you know, um, Dave says this um, quite often and it's um, Bullshit, it, no, it, it's pretty good it's pretty good leadership despite you know you not being good leader. maybe I shouldn't have, mentioned well, I shouldn't <laughs> have <mentioned laughs> names so I have this guy at the office yeah. who gave me some good insight yeah. once and it was yeah. like you know if someone fails at something, whatever <laughs> it might be, yeah. you know, right away it's sometimes it's like what did that person do? to cause failure but the reality is like sometimes the organization has a responsibility too to say did we support that person right, right, yeah. H- what could we have done better to make sure that person didn't fail or doesn't fail the next time and yep. I, and i think that's a it's it's an important part of this is it is not a one dimensional transactional relationship right. this whole transforming work yep. and as an organization i do have a question or a comment actually part of this and th- to get your feedback on can we as an organization or organizations in general say, when it's time to transition, we don't have a two-week policy. We expect you to give us some time and we respect you, you respect us. Like we don't live by this right. um, kind of fake two two-week, two-week thing that's a carryover from you know centuries ago.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I, I think that that's a legitimate ask. and if you have a good relationship, that's predicated on good things like understanding needs and wants and desires and skills and competencies and everything else, that shouldn't be a difficult conversation to have. If it's a transactional kind of relationship,
3: you'll be lucky to get two weeks. Yeah. I mean, mm. I know we're getting close to our time
2: here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no. um,
3: we could talk know, all day. <laughs> our five <laughs> listeners probably have other things they need to do <laughs> in the day. Um, we're up to five now
1: up good, to, we're up to five. Wow. one person has three separate <laughs> exactly. just to be
0: fair we had seven before we started <laughs> okay. fair. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. We got five.
3: yeah you know we've talked a lot about kind of how we've gotten to where we are about where we are at this moment with you know pandemic ending and everything else what does the immediate near future kind of uh, look like in your vision what is the next five years how is the workplace going to change or is it <laughs> let uh, get your crystal
1: ball there, hey, Terry, yes. and, and let yeah, us know. 13
2: seconds to answer. Uh, yeah.
1: Is the world going to change? I hope yeah. it will. Um, hope's not a strategy, but I, I hope it will. I think what the, the pandemic has done, I hope it's done, is it's made us realize that that which many organizations have taken for granted, which is their talent pools, are really, really, really critical. And it seems really odd to say that, but I think that is true. Prior to the pandemic, a lot of it took for granted a lot of things. And including our HR folks who have for years have been screaming about we need to be part of the solution. And well, maybe we'll take it we might bring you in on strategy. If, if HR is not at your strategy conversations, shame on you. Mm-hmm. And and that's what I hope comes out of this is that there is a greater focus on talent and strat and how that interacts and how culture and engagement, leadership, how those things all play into your strategy, that's what I hope the future holds. Um, we've got the shit scared out of us by this pandemic. Right. I hope that, you know, fears is a terrific motivator. So I'm hoping that holds. My fear is that in two years from now, when this pandemic's in the rearview mirror, it'll be back to the way it was, and that's just tragic. Right. But Call Area Consulting will help you with that. <laughs> I'm be- sorry, he was coming in. Shameless you knew plans. it was coming soon. <laughs> <laughs> and buy <laughs> the number one international bestseller, seller. Work. That'll solve all your problems. Yeah, you one
2: thing I, uh, I know we're, we're wrapping up. One thing I want to go back to is, you know, and is this um, the I'll use the Google example of the culture that they have created. And mm-hmm. uh, I think I, I know that um, I've got a couple friends that work there and have worked there. And one of the things that's really important to, I think, for people to realize is that. They don't build the the slides and the foosball and the candy bars and stuff first. Right. You know, I guarantee you that if Google wasn't didn't have a great strategy Correct. and wasn't making money, yeah, they wouldn't offer those kind of materialistic elements. And I think it goes back to this idea that culture is not one-dimensional. You don't create it. I'm not mm-hmm. even sure you earn it. It is a it is something that happens. It's a kind of a sum of all the parts. Yeah, it's certain
3: genesequoa. You know,
2: it's a, exactly.
3: ne yeah. we're Exactly. Is, is,
2: is that Spanish? We just <laughs> went multilingual. <day> <laughs>
3: yeah. Well, and, and an interesting thing about about <laughs> Google and and how you know they were all about open concept. They created all those things. They're starting to dismantle them now. Right. Because Absolutely. Because they realize right. the impact it's had on the
1: culture. Well, and they're and also may, bringing and,
2: people back to the office. Exactly. Yeah, right. And
1: maybe they just listened to their people who said, you know what, I don't like that. And that's okay. That's evolution. Mm. You know, that's 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 cool. But you know, in our firm. We, we do things. We like to think we do things that our employees embrace, and don't force them to do things they don't want to do. And if things don't work, change it up. Yeah. So to get back to the Google example. So
0: that's awesome, Terry. Uh, thank you so much for your time oh today, God. for the for the great conversation, yeah. Yeah. Um, for our five listeners, and for <laughs> for the one in Wisconsin. Uh, Terry Gillis, <laughs> the president and CEO of Aria Consulting. He's the author of the book "Desuckify Work." Doesn't everyone deserve a great place to work? Check it out. Lots more of great insights in that um, as well, based on some of the stuff that we've talked about today. But just an absolute pleasure, and really appreciate your insights and your Love perspectives. Thanks, thanks, Terry.
1: Thanks for having me, guys. That was fun. It's, it's a, a pleasure. Yeah, we'll, we'll do this
0: again when the next book comes out. That's Awesome.
3: awesome.
1: That's All right. right.
0: Yeah. Looking forward to it. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's been very good. Thanks, Terry.
3: Yeah. If you like what you heard, and or have some thoughts you'd like to share, please do so at podcast at tmd.ca. All of TMD's podcasts and any other content you may find helpful and useful can be found at tmd.ca. Looking forward to next time. Thank you and have a great day.